Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this re-recording of a sermon I did yesterday for the Watford Church of Christ. I'm re-recording it because the recording just didn't work yesterday, and also because I think this is a very significant topic, and so I'm going to do a slightly shorter, more condensed version of the lesson I did yesterday, more as a teaching class than a sermon as such. And the topic is about freedom, spiritual freedom, what it is and what it's for. The title of the lesson is Always Free, Yet Spiritual. Always free, yet spiritual. And it's one of the five aspirations of the Watford Church of Christ, which spell the word great. G for God-focused, R for relationship-based, E for enabling our children to become Christians. Those were the previous three lessons. Then today, the A is always free, yet spiritual. And next week is the final uh, topic, which is toiling. T for toiling to build the church well. So let me just get straight into this by reading, first of all, from Luke chapter 4, which I think sets out the tone of what we're dealing here with here when we're talking about freedom. In Luke 4, verse 14 to 21, Jesus goes back to the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue and he stands up to read the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this part from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What kind of good news? He has sent me to proclaim freedom. Freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. There's the free word again. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's his opening statement. It's, it's Jesus' first sermon. He's setting out his, his stall. And freedom is key to what he's come to proclaim and indeed to offer. And we'll look and find out more about that as we go through this lesson. The fundamental beginning here is God wants you and I to be free. He wants humankind to be free. Now, to understand that, of course, what that means, we need to look into what freedom is, this sort of freedom, and how we can get it, and then how we can live in it. So Jesus wants us to be free, but where does that freedom come from? So let's have a look here in John chapter 8 and see what Jesus says about freedom to his disciples and anybody who would listen. To the Jews who had believed him in John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. They answered, We're Abraham's descendants, never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free. They don't consider themselves to be slaves, so why would they need freedom? Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family. A son belongs to it forever. He's offering them something different here uh, to be part of the family. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he's saying, there is a freedom I've come to bring that nothing has given you before. You've not had this kind of freedom. Now, of course, for an Israelite, they'd be thinking about Exodus and Moses, and of course, they were set free from their slavery in Egypt, and that was physical, but it also came to symbolize the way that God had rescued his people, cared about his people, and was giving them a hope and a future, giving them a land in which to live, giving them a, a, a temple where they could worship God, giving them uh, priests and giving them all kinds of opportunities to have freedom to uh, know God and to show God to the world and to enjoy God's presence with them in this land. So many wonderful promises originally given to, Ab to Abraham, and now to be enjoyed by the people of Israel. But Jesus says, yes, but there's another part to this that I've come to bring that nothing has given you up until this point. So that's the kind of freedom uh, we're talking about. Of course, one of the fundamental things that the people of Israel had forgotten, at least by the time of Jesus, but if you look through their history time and time again, was that this freedom that God had given them from Egypt and the freedom to worship him was not meant to be selfishly 
used. It was meant to be a way of attracting other people to Yahweh, a way of demonstrating the nature, the character of God to the world. And Israel's history was one of uh, forgetting that, compromising that, and then being brought back to it by the prophets, and then by times of repentance from time to time. And this is what we see here, is Jesus is saying, I have come to give you the kind of freedom that you have always needed and the world has always needed to see and that honors God. This kind of freedom is not a selfishness kind of freedom. It's not an independence. It is a freedom that blesses you. It blesses your inner circle of friends and family and the people around you, and it blesses the world. This is freedom from peer pressure. Jesus was a man of integrity. He was not afraid of people. He wasn't influenced by people to compromise what was righteous between him and God as Father God and also between him and humankind. Peer, uh, freedom from peer pressure to conform. Freedom to have integrity no matter what else is going on. Freedom from controlling anxiety. We all get anxious from time to time. The Apostle Paul said he was anxious about the churches but not a controlling anxiety, not a controlling fear. The disciples of Jesus were often challenged that they were afraid when they should have faith. It's not the incident of fear that's a problem. It's the ongoing controlling of fear that's a problem, and that doesn't have to happen when you have Jesus with you. We're set free from that kind of controlling fear. Freedom from boredom. The Christian life is not, not boring. If, if your Christian life is boring, then there's something to talk about there because the way that God works is always engaging and exciting and has purpose and has meaning and that's another part of being free is when we're free we're free from purposelessness we're free from angst we're free from ennui we're free from existential terror this is the kind of freedom we get when we enter into a relationship with Jesus such as he has with the father that's what he has come to give us what a wonderful amazing gift that none of us could ever earn or deserve or purchase so how do we get this freedom well, let me briefly reference Romans chapter 6, which I think explains this perhaps better than any, any other one passage in the New Testament. In Romans 6, Paul is reminding the Romans of the freedom they've been given, but also what it means. So he says, shall we go on sinning in verse 1 so that grace may increase? They've misunderstood the point of their freedom. The, the fact that there is grace doesn't mean that they have license to sin. By no means... Those of us who have died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, that's the slavery of death, the prison of death, just as Christ was, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may have a new life, a life of freedom. If we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by, uh, by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We're free. Now, if we died with Christ, we will also live with him. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. He is, is set free from that. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, this new free life. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of righteous, uh, of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, slavery to freedom. 
and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, making you a slave, uh, meaning you don't have freedom, because you are not under the law, but under grace you have that freedom. So how do we get this freedom? We are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that's something you haven't done or you don't understand about, there's no chance you're going to live the kind of freedom, enjoy the kind of freedom that Jesus has for you until you do. So if you have done it, celebrate. If you haven't or don't understand it, investigate it, because only in doing that will you find this wonderful spiritual freedom. Now, let's go on to look at the things that might compromise our freedom. In Mark chapter 15, in verse 3 to 5, we see Jesus before Pilate, and it says that the chief priests accused Jesus of many things. Pilate, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus made no reply. And how did Pilate feel about that? It says that he was amazed. Why was he amazed? One, everybody else he's ever um, had in this situation would have argued against the charges. I mean, in the past, where, whether it might have been Barabbas, perhaps in this context, or other people, they'd have argued against their accusers. And especially since Pilate himself knows that they have no basis for this. They know that Jesus is, he knows that Jesus is basically an innocent man, and the uh, chief priests and all these people are bringing these charges out of a hypocritical perspective of trying to cause trouble. So Pilate is amazed that Jesus does not argue his case. And this tells us something about how we utilize our freedom. For Jesus was free to choose to defend himself, but chose not to. That doesn't mean he wasn't free anymore. It means he chose how he was going to exercise his freedom. And one of the ways that can compromise our freedom is when we argue for our rights. Now, the caveat here is, of course, we want people to have um, equal rights in this world. And in that sense, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is arguing for your personal will at the expense of God's will or the benefit of other people. If I stand up for my rights in a way that hurts others, then I'm not doing what Jesus would do and did do. He's our inspiration here. It's very tempting when you're accused of something that you know isn't right, and you know that if you, you could argue against it, but then if you do it would harm the cause of the gospel or your relationship with God or your kindness and love towards other people. It's hard, though, still not to argue back. I had an experience this week where I was walking through our local park, Cassiobury Park, uh, early in the morning, it was still not quite dark, but semi-dark, semi-light. I was having my morning prayer walk, and I was walking back home through the park. I saw a chap in the distance who was on the same path as me. Our, our uh, directions were, were bringing us towards each other, and I, and I saw him walking on the left of the path, and I was walking on the left side as I was walking towards him. So I moved to the other side of the path to mean I wasn't too close because, you know, COVID and all that. I didn't want to worry him. And I didn't want to catch anything. So we're now on different sides of the path as we're approaching one another. And it became obvious that we were going to meet at a puddle. There was a big puddle in the middle of the path. And it had flooded most of the path. There was a little bit in the middle of the path, which was slightly raised, where it wasn't particularly deep. Neither this chap nor I had Wellington boots on. So we're going to have, we wanted to walk through the shallow part. So we both arrived at the puddle at the same point. I stayed on the right-hand side. And as I was looking at things... And, uh, and waited so that he continued walking through the center of the puddle and passed quite close to me and walked on. And I walked through the middle of the puddle and on I went. And he turned around as soon as that had happened and gave me the most awful abuse I've heard in a very long time. He was swearing at me. 
He was very upset. It was very fruity language, you might say. I was stunned. I didn't know what I'd done. And he's yelling at me. And what time was this? About half past six in the morning, 6.45. He's yelling at me. And he said, don't you care? You're so selfish. I could catch COVID. You know, why did you get so close? And other words I won't repeat here. And I couldn't process this because I'd moved to the other side of the path specifically to avoid him. And then he'd moved to the middle of the path and come through. And even then, I'd still been off slightly to the side. And I couldn't have gone any further to the side or I'd have been in this muddy mess of uh, of the grass there that uh, he could have, he could have, I suppose, done that if he wanted. I mean, he wasn't actually wearing a mask himself. I don't know why would he accuse me of this? And I, and I knew my motives were pure. I knew that I had tried to avoid him, and that he'd moved towards me while I'd moved away. I mean, I had right on my side. I had plenty of ways to justify what I had done, and I was feeling mightily upset as he ranted and raved and kept on with this. And eventually, there was a pause, and I had to choose what to do. And I don't know what exactly was right, but I had just been praying, and I'd been praying, funnily enough, about the ongoing mercy of God and kindness to me that I don't deserve. And I thought, well, this chap doesn't deserve my mercy. I could argue my rights. I don't think it would improve matters, but I could. But I decided not to, and I simply said, I'm sorry. And his response to that, I thought it might calm him down, his response to that was to shout at me, oh, it's all about you now, is it? So I'm not going to win this. He ranted a bit more. We were at this time sort of walking further and further apart. I was rather glad for that. And he said something else. I said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'll try and do better next time. And he was, well, he just went on and on and on. And I could hear him yelling as he went further and further into the distance. I, I, I felt very disturbed by that and wrestled with the things I could have said to argue against what he was saying. And as I walked on and my, my heart calmed down a bit because it, it was beating rather rapidly, I, I, it just, I did think, I've got to have mercy because I don't know what's provoked this in him. It's so irrational. And there's so much anger in this man at this point. I, I would not be doing right by him or by God by arguing my point of view. And there are times we, we need to get into uh, justice and righteousness, but there are times to, to not do so. And Jesus is our inspiration here. When we start arguing for our rights, we lose our freedom in Christ in many ways, and we don't attract other people to freedom in Christ. We need to allow those things to go from time to time. And who knows? I, maybe I will see him. In fact, I think I saw him this morning I'm not sure it's the same guy because it, was, it wasn't quite as dark and I made sure to be on the very far side of the path to him. And as he walked by, I think it was him, I said good morning in as even and kind a tone as I could. And I heard a gruff kind of grumble as I walked past, nothing more than that. But who knows? Uh, we had a neighbor across the road, I can see the house from where I'm sitting here. Uh, who was very upset with us when we first moved in because I, I had my car parked over that side, not blocking her drive, but but anyway, she wasn't happy. And she gave me an earful when she walked past and I responded kindly and put a bottle of wine on her doorstep with a card saying, sorry, we're new around here. She came back to me uh, a few days later and said, I'm really sorry, I was just having a really bad day. And we didn't become friends, but we certainly didn't become enemies. 
and we exchanged Christmas cards until she moved. And it's it's one of those things where insisting for our rights compromises the freedom that is ours and the ability of us to offer freedom to other people. We see this in Jesus. That's one thing that compromises our freedom. We need to remember what Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is why Jesus came. And as we follow him, we are people called to do the will of the Father, not our own will. A second issue that can compromise our freedom is legalism. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is writing to the, to the Galatians because they're being tempted into um, Jewish practices as part of Christianity. That is something they feel they must obey. They must get circumcised, keep the Sabbath and everything else that goes with it. And he says, no, you've been set free. Uh, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You are now set free from that mode of religion, that mode of relating to God. That's not what it's about. We can't essentially earn the approval of God. We can't manufacture assurance of salvation. It's not about those outer forms. It's about the desire to have that committed, devoted, loyal relationship with God that matters, that, that means that we behave in ways consistent with that, that glorify God and honor what Jesus has done for us. But the fact is, a lot of Christianity has too often resembled Judaism in the sense of keeping rules that keep God happy. You and I are never going to be in a place where we can keep God happy with us by the way we behave. Certainly we can disappoint God and we can grieve God by our behavior, but we, there's no Christian checklist that says, as long as I do these six things every day, God will be happy with me. God doesn't operate like that. He loves you and he loves me because of who he is, not because we behave a certain way. The truth is we are attracted sometimes to a legalism, a way of proving to God and ourselves that we're righteous. We're attracted to it because in some ways it's easier to it's easier to follow the law than say the Sermon on the Mount. The law of the Old Covenant, there were commands that were the Israelites were told you must do these. And so okay, as long as I do those, I'm okay. The Sermon on the Mount, not that that should be a checklist either, really, but the Sermon on the Mount is much more, it's much more heartsy. It's much more subtle. It's much more about grasping the heart of God, which was the point of the law all along, of course. But it, we've just got to be aware of this. It's not about the outer things. It's on the, it's on the core of our relationship with God. That is why Jesus said the most significant matters of the law are love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. If we do that... That is our pure doctrine, if you like, not legalism. So in our congregation, it is important that we focus on the core and not on disputable matters or on ways we could argue about certain aspects of the Christian life that aren't part of that core of loving God and loving one another. And another area that can hinder our uh, freedom is what you might call licentiousness. Uh, let's just call it selfishness, shall we? The same book, Galatians chapter 5, verse, six, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. 
So sin can damage our freedom, both in our relationship with God and with one another. Or, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10 and 28, 29, and the whole of chapter 10 is worth a read on this. Paul says, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, he's talking about meat offered to an idol in, in a pagan temple, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm not referring to the other person's conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? In brief, what Paul is saying here is meat sacrificed to an idol is just meat. It's nothing. You can eat it. Don't worry about that. However, if you're with somebody, maybe a non-believer or a Christian with a tender conscience, what Paul would probably say is a weak conscience, and they would be offended by eating meat sacrificed to an idol or misunderstand what's going on, then don't do it. You have the freedom to eat that meat, but compromise your freedom for the sake of other people's conscience. But that doesn't prevent you from being able to eat that meat when you want to. So it's a little subtle and complex. And I wish somebody would do a nice good study on this for me because it's a, a, a little complicated. But the essential thing here is to figure that there are many things that we are permitted to do as Christians, but we will be careful about the context in which we use our freedom for the sake of those with a weak conscience or, see, or the sake of people who don't understand the gospel and might think that what we were doing was compromising the Christian faith. So we need to think about that. We reject selfishness, um, using our freedom for our own selfish ends. In, uh, we reject that so that we can serve others instead. Finally, let's talk about what our freedom is for. What is it for? Well, it's certainly for reaching out to those who are lost and far from God to draw them into a relationship with God. Uh, the mission of Christ and his church is one where our freedom is meant to draw others into this freedom. I love what it says about Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. He went around doing good. That's what we do. We use our free time, our free energy, and the freedom of our spirit to go and do good in this world so that others would come to hopefully want to know about and follow Jesus Christ. You and I have a lot of choice. In our Christian life, in our lives in general, we have a lot of choice. We can choose to do good, or we can choose to do what is more convenient and safe and selfish. Think about Philip. In Acts chapter 8, the Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And of course, the Ethiopian is baptized into Christ after a little while. Philip had a choice. He could have gone to the chariot and listened to the prompting of the Spirit. Or he could have said, what, what desert road? Ethiopian? A chariot? What doesn't make any sense? I, I'm doing good work here. I'm doing good work already. Why should I go there? He didn't know that God had a whole nother exciting plan for him. Or take Peter in Acts chapter 10. He has a vision and God says, go with this chap, his, his people, and go to his house. For Peter to go to the house of a Gentile, of Cornelius, made no sense. In fact, it not only made no sense, it would have seemed very, very wrong to Peter. He had a choice to obey the vision, to obey this call from, to obey this call from God, or not to. And he had more reasons, you could say, to not do it than to do it. And yet he went to Cornelius's house. The spirit falls. They are all baptized. And we are bringing Gentiles into, into the kingdom all of a sudden. And so exciting. A lot of our, maybe even most, maybe nearly all the time that you and I are going to be able to help people become Christians is by compromise, not compromising our freedom, is by engaging, using the freedom we've been given to bless others and compromising our own comfort, our own convenience. I suppose that's that's what it's really about. And we're obedient to that out of a spirit of gratitude and love for what Jesus has done for us in giving us our spiritual freedom. The second way we can use our freedom is to love one another, is for loving one another. Galatians 5 and verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. 
the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. The freedom you and I have means that we can love each other and serve each other. Using our freedom to love each other here and rather than get what we want from our congregational life. I benefit a lot from this congregational life in Watford. I think we all do. But the point of being engaged in this congregational life is not to engage in it because I want something, I need something, but because it gives me an opportunity to use my freedom in Christ to serve you, just to love you, and for us to do that for one another. And the next area is simply in loving God. I guess this is obvious, but in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Isn't it amazing? This relationship we've been given because Jesus has given us freedom means that we approach God with freedom and confidence. At times of prayer, at times of devotion, at times of meditating on God's word, at times of coming to God with whatever's on our heart, these are times when we're exercising our freedom in Christ, coming to him in freedom and with confidence. The word here, parasia, means boldness, freedom of speech, or loose tongue. In other words, we don't come to God tongue-tied, like, oh, I hope it's okay for me to be here. Dare I open my mouth? We come with confidence and freedom, with, uh, with that sense of boldness, because God wants to hear what we have to say. And that's because Jesus died and enslaved himself, you could say, to death and paid the penalty of sin so that we could now share in the freedom of the new life that God gave him by raising him from the dead and you and I get through our repentance and baptism into Christ. What a wonderful thing. Now, as we wrap up, let me make the point that this is an aspiration always free yet spiritual. It's an aspiration because you and I are never going to be able to live this perfectly or any of the other aspirations we have. But having an aspiration gives us an aim. It gives us a reminder of what we're really all about. You and I have decisions to make in life, decisions about where to live, about who to marry, about what schools our children can or should go to, about jobs that we take, about how we use our time, how we use our money, how we use all the resources God has given us. And these choices come along on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, and certainly big decisions come along every now and again. How, and we are free to make those choices. How are we going to, to make those choices in a wise way? It's not by just doing what we feel we should do or sense of duty or what other people tell us we should be doing. It's certainly worthwhile getting advice and perspective from many other people. But in the end, you and I have to make those decisions. We have freedom to make a decision. We must make that decision with a spiritual, from a spiritual perspective. And I hope that what we talked about today will help us with that. Thinking about conscience, thinking about sin, thinking about selfishness, thinking about freedom from sin, thinking about freedom from the fear of death, thinking about the, the kind of freedom Jesus came to give us that he talked about in Luke chapter 4. This is the kind of freedom we've been given, that we're promised, and that we can live in and into and through into the rest of this world. What might that look like for you, especially if you have a decision to make in the near future? How can you make that decision, knowing you're free to make it, but with a spiritual perspective? That's what I would like us to consider. Now, we're going to uh, wrap up in John chapter 10 here, because we should finish by looking at Jesus. And this beautiful passage in, the, in John 10 from verse 14, Jesus describing himself says that he's the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There'll be one flock, one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus is our inspiration. He did what he did uh, in obedience to the Father because he loves the sheep. He loves you and I. Therefore, he didn't use his freedom for personal gain. Indeed, instead, he used it for our gain. He's, no one takes it from me. No one takes his life from him. He, the reason the Father loves me is I lay down my life to take it up again. In other words, so that the resurrection could actually happen. He laid down his life of his own accord. You know, one of the ways that churches become healthy and strong is that we as every member, as all the members of a local congregation decide, I will choose. I have my own sovereign decision to make. And I will choose to lay down my rights for the sake of others. I will choose to offer my energy, my time, all my resources for you, my brothers and sisters in this congregation. I will choose to do that for the lost that God brings me in contact with. I will choose to use my freedom in my relationship with God to pray for others and for this dark world that we are in. We're doing that out of imitation of Jesus. We don't do these things as a duty. We don't do these things because this is a requirement of church membership. Lord, let's not do it for that, for that reason. We do these things because we are grateful for freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom of the fear of death. Freedom from, from anything that stops life becoming all it could be. Free, because of this freedom, we have the freedom to become all we can be in Christ, in, to become the best version of a disciple of Jesus we can. That's what this freedom is for. May I appeal to you and appeal to myself to think about the way you use your freedom and to think about how to be inspired to engage in that freedom, to give others the opportunity to benefit from your freedom and themselves to be drawn to that freedom. Jesus is our example. What a wonderful Lord we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. Ours is a freedom that we don't deserve, but we are given because of the love and grace of God. If you've got any thoughts on this topic, do drop me a line, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. And I hope you will be able to live in that way, always free, yet spiritual. Take care and God bless.